I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're, we're the, the Trade, Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. In this first episode of 2020, we look ahead at the year in trade. We'll talk EU, Brexit, and China. Plus, we'll talk about the latest on USMCA. We're going to get that passed as early as uh, Friday or Monday. Will you vote for it when it comes before the Senate? Yes, I will. You'll hear about all that and much more on this first episode of the year of The Trade Guys. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. Happy 2020 Trade New Year. This is a big deal. We've got a big year ahead of us. So let's get to it. What do we need to expect in the next 12 months? Like what's on the agenda? Well, I've got to figure out whether it's happy new trade year or happy trade new year. Yeah. We'll we'll figure this out at some point. Okay. But But uh, like we've got a lot on the agenda. I mean, we've got, you know, Tariff Man is going to be at it again. It's because he hasn't finished anything. Okay. Except for Korea. I think the immediate story will be USMCA, which I would expect – now that impeachment is kind of up in the air as far as timing is concerned, I'd expect it actually this week or next because uh, once the Finance Committee approves it, which they'll be expected to do on January 7th, that starts a clock ticking. And it's a 15-day clock. That's days in session, not days of the calendar. But 15 days in session is about you know three weeks in, in January, maybe four. Right. So it's got to be done. It'll go pretty quickly. And because it can't be amended, uh, it's really a matter of just uh, voting aye, aye or no. And based on the House uh, uh, result, we're 348 votes in favor of the agreement. That's the highest total since at least maybe the Tokyo Round agreements. Uh, probably uh, maybe the highest. Clo- probably since Jordan, it, yeah. it might be the highest total yeah. ever. I heard today there was some small grumbling by other committees that they hadn't chosen, that they hadn't had time to right. review it. Of course, in the Senate, things don't get referred to more than one committee. They go to the primary one. Right. And I think the finance view is, well, that's just too bad. Uh, so it will probably um, go forward. And you may have seen that, to the surprise of many, Elizabeth Warren announced she's going to vote for it. Yeah, I was going to say, Usmaka is like really in because Clearly, even Elizabeth Warren says she's in. Absolutely. So what does that mean? Well, what shifted the politics was the labor movement. Uh, the work that Ambassador Lighthizer did all along, and then the Democrats, uh, led by Chairman Richard Neal, that it did with Rich Trumpka and the, the American labor movement, for them to um, – you know, my, my forecast all along was that they'd be a soft no. In other words, they'd still oppose the agreement but wouldn't oppose it with a lot of energy and, uh, and advocacy efforts. Uh, but they actually got, got to yes – yeah. Uh, that changed the politics for everybody on uh, on that side of the aisle. It's a smart move by Warren, and it distinguishes her from Sanders, who is a hard no. Well, this was my next question. What about the other presidential Democratic well, candidates? We've talked a little bit about this before. Remember that if you look at poll data, uh, most Democratic voters are pro-trade. Sure. I mean, the AFL-CIO plays an important role in the party and party hierarchy, but Democratic voters and the basis of young people and minorities is pro-trade, pro-globalization. I think Warren's been smart to figure this out. This, If you look at it that way, this is not a hard call because labor is for it, so she doesn't really offend them, and the basis for it, so she can play to that. Uh, and she can, dis- uh, in a way, uh, distinguish herself from Bernie in a way that's probably constructive. And I, I think at this point, based on the candidates who have been asked the question, uh, Se- Senator Sanders is the only no 
Yeah, uh, Biden's all the, for this. All the others are Biden's for it. Biden's for it. Klober, Klobuchar is for it. Yeah. Bennett is for it. Has um, Buttigieg weighed in on this? Doesn't well, I don't think so. I but don't he think can't he's vote. Uh, it's mostly been asked to senators who are going to have to vote on well, it. Well, Biden can't vote either. True, but he went ahead and say, yes. said he was for it. He's, yeah, he knows um, a little something about this. Uh, one would think, yes. Yeah. I don't, has I don't know. Had if, a lot I don't of think experience. I, I take it being I, well, mayor of South Bend. Probably not, but uh, but I, I don't think anybody's asked him the question directly. Is the reason for that? There hasn't been a debate uh, since the House vote, so this is all based on <clears throat> what reporters have managed to ask different candidates, and so we, we don't we don't have complete knowledge. Okay. Okay. So we but, just don't know. But she came out unasked. Yeah, and this she was, was a statement from her yes. from her campaign. I think it was a smart move. I mean, I think it was a smart move politically, and right. substantively, and it will. Um, one could ask the question of how it squares with the trade policy that she put out six months ago, because it doesn't really. But uh, it's a good evolution, I think. Okay, so she's got a plan for that. Meanwhile, the president is going to use his tariff authority uh, on Europe, and so it'll get very exciting here soon. So, if you want the return of tariff man, it's really about European issues, which will be quite prominent in 2020. So we're going to be talking about sparkling wines. We're going to be talking about cheeses. We're going to be talking about WTO. We're going to be talking. Talking about Airbus and Boeing. Well, we've got right. the, basically two initiatives. All one, of the above. One yeah. is the Color Inside the Lines initiative, which is the Boeing Airbus dispute, which is a WTO authorized retaliation or WTO authorized tariffs. The other one is Coloring Outside the Line, the French digital tax, and uh, that is a, a Section 301 initiative. This is the biggie. This is the one that really ruffles the White House because. It's going after ostensibly our companies. It, it has the effect of basically not just a, ostensibly. I think it's pretty clear that the main victims will be American yeah. companies. Right. Yeah. And don't forget about the automobile tariffs. Right. They're still lurking out there. Right. Uh, it'll probably be litigated, but uh, the president never takes anything off the table. So he didn't impose them when he could. The deadline is passed. There are some people who argue that because the deadline is passed, he can't do it. I'm not sure that's correct. But uh, he is not about to say that he's not going to do it. And it wouldn't surprise me if the relationship deteriorates that you'll see them back on the table again. Well, I've got a quote here from uh, Bill Reinch of the Center for Strategic International Studies. Who I've told, heard of him. Who told Politico, quote, and this is about President Trump, quote, he only has one arrow in his quiver and that's tariffs. Well, he is tariff man. He is tariff man. Do you think we could get this Bill Ranch as a guest sometime? Yeah, I know it's a tough. It's a tough get. <laughs> I've been trying to think about some word other other than quiver. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, well, I mean, he's tariff man. Yeah, but it's so medieval. I mean, who shoots arrows anymore? Well, uh, but, but I guess he I does. Think he, I think tariff man might like it. But keep in mind, there's a counterweight to the tariffs on Europe, yeah. which is all the enthusiasm about a free, a free trade agreement with the United Kingdom based on uh, Boris Johnson's uh, parliamentary victory and the idea that Brexit will take place maybe by the end of January, or at least that's that's the target date for Brexit in the January of 2020. Now, whether this trade agreement comes about anytime soon will be fun to watch because while the Brexit uh, Documents may be signed on January 21st, may take effect on January 20, 31st, 2020. Uh, it's going to be a mess. There's a lot of – be a lot of cleanup to do before negotiations can actually get serious between the United States and, and the UK. But clearly, this is a top priority for the president. Uh, it is one where he and, and Prime Minister Johnson have both talked it up 
recently. So that's one we'll watch carefully. And, but I feel vindicated. There was a political article article this week uh, that said what we've been saying here for months, which is it's all about the chickens. Yeah. And the chickens are a metaphor for competing regulatory policies. Uh, and the reality is that if the UK takes our chickens, they're going to have problems with the EU. And what we are going to be doing is pressing them to pick to choose, us or the Europeans, when you know nearly half their tr- total trade is with the EU. I think it puts them in a difficult position. It's going to be a, a rocky year uh, yes, to go and, forward. But in the meantime, we know in the House of Commons that calling somebody a chlorinated chicken is an insult. Uh, Prime Minister Johnson called Jeremy Corbyn a chlorinated chicken during yeah. one of the debates. Yeah, he didn't so, take too well to that. No, it is so. He said they're not going to take our, our chickens. We won't be hearing from Corbyn anymore, though. Uh, no, we won't. That's, no, uh, uh, that, uh, right. I think that would be uh, no editorial comments on that one. Yeah. I did learn today that there's an additional um, time frame that I hadn't realized. The UK, it appears, is going to leave at the end of January. And they've given themselves then until the end of 2020, the end of this year, to negotiate the terms for their departure with the EU. And uh, there was some speculation about extending that. Uh, the prime minister has gotten parliament to approve an act that says they won't extend it. Of course, they could always pass a new act. Uh, and that gets into the time frame. Apparently, he has until June to request a further extension. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, how far along they are in June. A lot of people who've observed the complexity of the untangling are skeptical that they're going to be able to uh, actually finish it in 11 months and are wondering what's going to happen on December 31st. There's going to be a lot of muddling through uh, in this whole thing. I mean, it's one of these things when you join a customs union or join a single market agreement, uh, you have a lot of things to deal with. But unjoining, walking away from one, may be even more complicated for all the, the changes to regulation, the changes to product standards, the changes to transport patterns, the very practical uh, notion of how you keep, in, from a retail standpoint, how you keep product on shelves, how you don't surprise customers. Uh, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. But I, look, every business in Britain has been planning for this since the referendum. In my view, uh, they've gone through uh, lots of contingency plans. Uh, the plans are going to connect with reality here sometime soon. Uh, there'll be a lot of work to do, but it's uh, going to be quite an interesting situation to observe. Well, their problem is going to be to integrate what they do with the EU with with everybody else. If it were, I mean, a simple thing to do was just say we'll continue to we'll continue EU standards and regulations. Uh, from the EU's point of view, that would be very simple. That then makes it much more complicated if they want to negotiate an agreement with us, if right. they want to negotiate an agreement with Commonwealth nations, you know, with the Australians or the New Zealands, New Zealanders, uh, even Canada. I mean, there right now there's a EU Canada agreement which the UK is part of. They if they leave. They may want to do another one with Canada separately. So what do you do in that case? You know, do you stick with the EU regulations or do you do something different? It's going to be very complicated for them. It's even more complicated than the NFL's compensatory pick formula. Nobody understands how that actually works. You guys kind of understand this whole situation with Brexit and how that might work, but nobody really knows what happens with the compensatory picks. Because like, for instance, if you lose, if the Ravens lose CJ Mosley and Smoke Brown, you don't know until the end of the season whether you're going to get a fourth round pick or a third round pick 
for uh, C.J. Mosley. And it's a very complicated formula that nobody knows anything about. That's fair. Does anybody really care? Oh, yeah. A lot of people care, especially this time of year. Because there's a whole bunch of teams that have nothing else to care about because their teams are already out of the playoffs. Uh, I can see you're spending way too much time on trade policy and not enough time on sports talk yeah, radio. Yeah. My priorities uh, are clearly misplaced. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Just a little and I aside. apologize for that. Yeah, no, no. No need to apologize because this is complex stuff and it just reminded me of the complexities <laughs> that are elsewhere. Yes. Because, you know, not everything is as complex as trade policy mm. and salary cap and compensatory picks. Right. You know, anyway, another very complex subject, China. Uh, President Trump said he will sign phase one right. of the trade deal with China on January 15th, um, setting the stage for Beijing to buy an additional $200 billion worth of U.S. farm goods, manufactured products, energy, and services by 2022. So I have a couple questions. What does this actually mean? And what's phase two if this is phase one? Well, look, 2020 is going to be the year of phase one. Yes, we have phase one uh, China and we have phase one Japan. Now, the real question uh, that that raises is whether there will ever be a phase two in either agreement. Right. So uh, I think they'll start. The question is whether they'll finish. Yep. I mean, in, in the case of Japan, they're obligated to start. The phase one says that they will start right. phase two four months after phase one goes into effect, which was January 1st. So in May, they should be talking uh, whether they finish. Uh, is an interesting question. The Japanese have a long history of dragging these things on as long as they possibly can. Well, is China going to drag this, though, because they're going to wait and see whether Trump actually gets reelected? Or Well, China's going to drag it on because they don't want to change. Right. Yeah, they'll drag it on because they don't want to make any concessions. My theory on the politics of it is that it's too soon for them to make a judgment about the election because they don't know the opponent. Uh, when they do know the opponent, uh, which will be probably August or right. September next year, uh, you know, there are, we've talked about this before. There are some opponents that I think they would regard as better for them than Trump and some that they would regard as worse for them than Trump. Uh, I think in September, probably, they make a judgment as to which outcome is better and what the outcome is likely to be. Uh, and then they'll act accordingly. And it might be to postpone and drag it out till after the election or likewise or it might be to make a deal. Are, uh, are the phase one issues Less difficult than the phase two issues? Though? Oh, yes. they do. It's all low-hanging fruit. Yes. And many of the well, – there's the market access side, uh, which sounds good, but we'll see what actually gets bought by China and what, what we actually export as a result of it. But that's at least something you can, you can calculate and measure. On the, the sort of the, the rules changes, the domestic reform, basically the regulatory reform changes we're demanding to intellectual property and those kinds of things, uh, as Bill's pointed out before, they're all things that China's promised previous administrations and failed to deliver. So the real problem is whether they're going to actually deliver this time, or even if they do, say, change their intellectual property law, does it have any real effect in the marketplace. I think what Ambassador Lighthizer has been looking for is uh, something to to facilitate actual implementation of their commitments because it, it really is, um, I think, going to be much of what they've previously promised with a this time we mean it uh, footnote. And so how do you make sure they mean it? And I think you'll find a lot of enforcement language, uh, deadlines, reporting requirements, transparency requirements, uh, panels to resolve disputes. So if we say you haven't done something you promised, there will be a means of, of adjudicating that and determining whether or not they've done anything. I think the bottom line of all that is it will create a situation in which the U.S. Uh, administration will be able to, to say 
it is clear, say publicly, it is clear you have not complied. And so now we can take some further action where before it was, you know, we say yes, you say no, and you just argue about it. I think what, what Lighthizer wants to do is create a basis for, you know, further retaliatory action that will, that won't be debatable. Now, mm-hmm. whether they actually take any action will be decided at the time. He just wants to create the foundation for it. Right. These are all documents that are in translation now. We'll see them at some point, um, one would hope, before the signing ceremony. But and that's coming January 15th. So, 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 it's, on my, okay. it's on my birthday. We should have a oh, party. Oh, we, we should do a podcast. We should have a party. We should do everything. Dim sum for everybody. Yeah, there you go. Happen. Okay. Well, we can do that. With you know, candles. We can make that happen. It'll, right? it'll be huge. It'll right. be luxurious. We're gonna, yeah. Oh, well, be in my age, there's a lot of candles. So <laughs> this will be, be very luxurious. So, okay. So, but on January 15th, on Bill's birthday, on phase one day, this is really exciting, by the way. I mean, we've got double celebration here. So on phase one day slash Bill's birthday, are we going to be celebrating? People here in the United States will be celebrating. The yeah. farmers will be celebrating. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this has yeah. actual meaning for so this them. This is a real victory. I think the markets will celebrate because it adds an element of certainty. Right. I mean, they get spooked by lots of things. Yep. And, and they're, who knows? Between now and then, there may be some other crisis. But, you know, it's it's good news. The market went up uh, sharply when, when this initially happened. And I think when it's actually signed, it'll probably go up again. Yes, based on uh, better predictability or uh, less uncertainty for the coming months. Okay, so this is a good thing. Something we can build on with China in other areas? Is this, yes, is we, it just uh, – it, it, you can't sell it as much as the president's going to sell it. It's not the greatest agreement that ever happened. No, okay. Uh, it doesn't accomplish uh, really uh, – almost any of his structural reform goals. It doesn't have anything in it on subsidies. But will uh, he sell it that way? He'll sell it as the greatest agreement ever, Well, uh, except for the second one that he's going to right. get. He'll, and will he'll, be he'll, even better. he'll focus on what he accomplished. But what's not going to happen is we're not going to go back to the thinking about China that was sort of t- 2016 and previous, where we wanted China to be a responsible stakeholder, in the words of of then USTR Bob Zelik, right. uh, and that which we, the Chinese interpreted as you're trying to contain us. Well, there's been lots of, of variation with this, but there was always an idea that by engagements, economic engagement with China, uh, that they would become a, a better partner and, and that this would be mutually beneficial. I think what's really happened, and the, this is what's really changed in terms of a, a p- opinion in Washington, is China. It, it, the president has decided not to treat China as a normal country because they don't conduct themselves that way. And I think the idea that they're not normal would prevent a return to sort of the, the, the greater degree of collaboration or, 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 or the, the insistence on a set of rules that we both agree to will benefit both of us and will advance together. I think, I think that idea will not return anytime soon. But they've already, you know, basically phase one is the low-hanging fruit. Right. So getting a phase two deal is going to be, uh, under ideal circum- political circumstances, is going to be very difficult. Yeah, the key is don't expect tariffs that exist today to be unwound anytime soon. I mean, we're still going to, this administration is still going to approach China, and I think they have bipartisan support for it, approach China as as not a normal country, one where we need to, uh, we need to uh, constantly monitor terms of trade, where we're not going to return to the status quo ante anytime soon. And I would say, since he's not a patient guy, look for new tariff threats, I would say April or May. 
Against China. Yes. Uh, not because uh, that's a deadline, but I think he just gets impatient after a while. And if he doesn't think the talks are making progress, that's that, that's and, the only arrow. And he's, he's, you know, he's, his own, he's his own worst enemy in this respect because by by announcing in advance a set of tariffs that are, that are supposedly going to be implemented and are backing off them, he magnifies the uncertainty associated with the policy. All right. And it's like, you know, no wonder business stays on the sideline. So – He'll be effectively undermining himself if he does that, and he'll have signed the one phase one, and then continue to the way you see it. There could be more threats of tariffs even after phase well, one. Well, Bill's signed. predicting that. Um, I think it's the, the year is going to get very busy for the president. He's got to have a lot of other things to worry about besides uh, what the latest uh, wrinkle from China is. I also think he wants to consolidate his wins at some point and stop stirring things up. Yeah, so, I mean, right now he's got Iran to worry about. He's got the fallout from Iran, the Middle East, and you know, and everything else to worry about. So he's, he's not going to be so focused on this, one would assume. Right. And there's there's an election this year. And so he's he's got a lot of issues that will unfold the Senate looming. For, for, he, for he and his party coming up. You see, I've, I've approached a little bit differently. I think he's going to decide he needs more trade victories. I mean, he'll have USMCA, which is actually a victory and, sure. and worth bragging about. But, uh, you know, Japan phase one is old news. By election time, China phase one will be old news. Uh, I don't expect a, an EU agreement no, and, or a UK agreement and, by election time. Right. Beating up the Europeans is, is, is entertaining but not all beneficial with the electorate. It doesn't go to get you anywhere. Right. So I think in October he gets desperate for something else that he maybe, can brag about. Maybe right. And uh, well, one of two outcomes. He gets desperate and will settle for something, which he will then say is great. Or uh, if he doesn't think he's going to get it, then uh, he pulls the plug. And says, uh, you know, uh, the Chinese are are not cooperating because they think I'm going to lose. So I'm put, putting this off until after the election because once I've won and they know I'm around for four more years, I'm going to get a better deal. Wow. If it's an election year, we have an October surprise. But this year we get a trade October surprise. That's going to be awesome. You heard it first right here. Trade October surprise. Scott Miller said it first. He did indeed. All right. So let me just ask, though. The phase two stuff and the other stuff beyond mm. phase one, what is the hard stuff that still needs to get done with China? The things that I think we've demanded that are more most important are limitations on their use of subsidies to support domestic industries. Right. So this is them uh, propping up state-owned businesses. Yes. And their favorable treatment of state-owned enterprises and their discrimination against not only foreign private companies, but private companies inside China themselves. You know, and the irony of this, which is frustrating, is that uh, what we want them to do would actually be good for their economy. It would free them up. It would promote more growth. It would establish uh, more of a market system, which would help them. And their growth is declining. I mean, it would not help the party's control of the country, and that's why they're not doing it. But it actually is good advice. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to take it. Good advice only works when it's taken. Exactly. I read somewhere that, you know, despite China's growing middle class, despite the, you know, growing amount of people having access to things, there's still a billion Chinese people that have not ever been on an airplane. Uh, well, maybe about right. Yeah. I can believe that. Yeah. Because there's another 400 million then who have. Yeah. yeah. But it's, pretty, it's a pretty amazing um, statistic. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, no. There's there's real upside there, which is why every uh, multinational company headquartered in the U.S. is interested in the Chinese market at right. some point. This is actually – that's a very interesting statistic because 
it, it reflects one of the difficulties of, of that the WTO is dealing with right now, which is how do you define uh, whether a country is a developed or a developing country? Right. Because, uh, you know, if you go to Shanghai or Beijing, what you see is, you know, a sophisticated uh, industrial state. Oh, Shanghai looks like Chicago with right. different uh, yeah. different language on the street signs. I mean, it's really impressive. It's a, But it's definitely a first world city. Right. But you go 100 miles out into the countryside. You're in the Bronze and, Age. And you go back, you know, 500 years. Right, right. And the Chinese point out uh, that, you know, if you just look at the cities, the big cities, right. you come to one conclusion. But if you look at the country as a whole and if you look at per capita uh, GDP, it's – Way low. So, are they a developed country or a developing one? Yeah, you see, it's more you, complicated than people think. Absolutely. It is. So, you have, a, you have a country with with people like Jack Ma, and you have a country with subsistence farmers, right? And everything in between. Definitely more complicated than the compensatory formula for the NFL. Yes, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, definitely more. Com- All right, one more thing we got to talk about uh, before we sign off today, guys. So, uh, in the waning days of 2019. Uh, White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro mentioned twice that uh, Vietnam is a trade target. Yes, yeah, sleeper 2000- issue. I'm, sleeper issue, right? So I'm what do you su- think about this? I'm not surprised in the least. Their deficit has gone up. I think it's going to hit – exceed 50 – our deficit with them will exceed $50 billion, I think, for this year. Uh, three or four years ago, it was like half that. Uh, there are ironies here because one of the reasons it's growing is because of the China tariffs. I mean, in, in a way, it's our own fault. This is decoupling in action. This is decoupling because what happens when you decouple is you go somewhere else and a lot of them are going to Vietnam. So the deficit is going up really as a direct result of American policy. But if you look at President Trump, as as Scott has said many times, most recently uh, last week, you know, he hunts where the ducks are. And yeah. this is now becoming, you know, uh, I think number six That's or his, seven on the list of, of, of the high cri- deficits. The criterion he examines most carefully. Looks, look at those trade deficits. That's who he wants agreements with. Yeah. And here is one. Of course, one could say that if you want to make the deficit lower, you should you know, get rid of the tariffs on China and maybe people will stop moving to Vietnam. But I don't think that's well, the way he looks at it. Right. And that's, of course, the, <clears throat> that's the futility of looking at bilateral trade deficits because exactly the same thing happened 25 years ago when China was growing. <clears throat> what happened is previous trade deficits with the so-called Asian tigers like Taiwan and Malaysia and, and uh, Korea. Philippines. <clears throat> well, the Philippines were never so high, but Korea had a big trade deficit with the United States. It shrank as China grew. But the whole, the net the net with Asia didn't change all that much, so uh, it's one of these things. You you pick a bad measure to set your goals and 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 work program by. You're going to wind up with some bad projects. But it is his measure, yes. And I think Navarro is, uh, which seems to be Navarro's measure too. I think he's right that it, that he's the country is on the radar screen, and you'll probably see a request for talks, uh, which I think the Vietnamese will eventually agree to agree to talk. Um, and that raises a lot of, a number of interesting questions because uh, there are labor issues there too. So you can see a USMCA replay as far as the AFL-CIO is concerned, I think, unless well, you just do tariffs. You you, know. Who knows? With the, the deja vu and all this is, of course, Vietnam was a party to TPP. So there was a trade agreement with Vietnam right. on the president's desk, which he tore up his second or third day in office. Right. Which I think labor was going to oppose. Oh, yes. I mean, it's not that it was easy, but – but it was uh, – we at least have done this before. Right. And now we know going through no TPP, but you have to go through all these things individually now. Right. 
That's so so what does this mean for the rest of Southeast Asia if Navarro is already talking about Vietnam? Well, it means I think that other countries, as far as the United States uh, on the attack, I think other countries are going to get a pass. Um, what you will also see, though, is the administration, I would think, trying again to redeem its promise to negotiate more bilaterals in lieu of TPP. That's what they said when he pulled out, that they would have bilaterals. So far, there aren't any. Uh, except the ones that were pre-existing, so I would see you know them looking at other countries, maybe Thailand, maybe the Philippines. Although the the Congress has had issues with that one. Yeah, they've talked about that for some time now. There's an issue of bandwidth, how many of these you can actually do, uh, and and so we'll, we'll find out how serious any of this is. It sounds like a lot of flight miles for Lighthizer and company. There were 160 members of Congress, I think, that wrote suggesting one with Taiwan. Right which has a lot of complicated issues associated with it. But, Very much. Um, there'll be lots going on. Right. So 160, say that again. So hundreds, a bipartisan group of 161 lawmakers last December, before the end of the year, sent Lighthizer a letter urging him to work towards starting a free trade negotiations with Taiwan. Um, why bipartisan support there? Well, I think there, there always has been bipartisan support in, in, in support of Taiwan. Past administrations have always been very cautious about this uh, for two reasons. One, there are some genuine trade re- trade disputes with them. Uh, one uh, in particular involves pork and uh, some other – Yeah, the agriculture issues, the issues themselves are quite difficult to resolve. Yeah, it's, it's not like it's, it would be an easy negotiation if we want to do it. But there's the obvious uh, – you know, triangular relationship with China as well. And China regards Taiwan not as an independent country, but as a province. Correct. Uh, and the United States historically has walked very, very carefully on on that regard. Uh, think, when things have happened, like Taiwan joining the WTO, it tended to happen in lockstep with China. China joined the WTO. Taiwan joined the WTO the same day. Uh, it's hard for me to envision, an, you know, an ordinary American administration negotiating with Taiwan unless there was a parallel negotiation going on with with China, which there is not in the same way. On the other hand, this is not a normal administration. So you might see that, but there will be fallout. This isn't a normal administration? I would say no. But if you want to argue, yes, we can. If this were a normal administration, there wouldn't be the need for the trade guys. That's right. There you go. But we should close with one thing, which is over the holidays, we discovered to our surprise and happiness that the trade guys have fans. Big time. We have more than one. We have yeah. plural we definitely fans. We have more than one. The numbers bear that out. We have the stats. But Well, I won't tell the whole story. We'll just give a shout out. Yeah. And the shout out is to our fan, Brittany, who works at the Apple store in Bethesda. Hey, Brittany. Brittany, we love you. Uh, keep listening. Well, yeah. The first, thanks for listening. Second, thanks for your interest in trade policy. It turns out she's working in customer service for Apple, um, and but but she is very interested in international trade and has a passion for the subject. Which we're delighted to see people uh, take on this as a as an area of inquiry because of of how how rewarding it's been for us over the years. So, right. And if so, I remember correctly, Brittany uh, did some graduate work in trade policy and... at uh, I believe Eastern Michigan University. That's right. And and, uh, and so, but he. She had a. She had while she was helping one of our colleagues get his new iPhone. Yeah. Uh, she had a very clear idea of the risks associated with supply chain uh, fragmentation. So <laughs> it was one of those things, Brittany. You, it's inspiring to have listeners like you, and we thank you for Brittany. We'll invite you to any taping of the Trade Guys. You know, sometimes we do have a studio audience, and um, just you know. 
drop us a line. We'd love to have you come by. With that, we will be back this time next week with another episode of The Trade Guys. To our listeners, if you have a question for The Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have The Trade Guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thank you. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.